0: Well, good morning. Um, as you might know, I don't have a lot of voices. It's better than I thought it was going to be, actually. We'll see where it goes from here. Hopefully, hope it doesn't go downhill, but um, I had um, COVID. Uh, I had the Idaho strain, I believe. I don't know if that's been identified correctly, but came from there uh, through our, uh, our kids that went on a trip uh, to see family out there. Uh, wasn't able to be here last week, which I hated. You guys did Awesome. Uh, for those who weren't here, I think you packed about forty, almost forty thousand meals to send to Ukraine. Uh, absolutely, and uh, and you had a fun time doing it. I saw enough on uh, on Facebook to know that you guys had a great time. So uh, I'm sorry I missed that, but I know that uh, a lot of people are going to be blessed by your work and by your actions there. So we're in the book of uh, study of the book of First Corinthians. We're going to continue that, <coughs> and uh, going to jump in here in just a moment. But let me say up front. Uh, our son's been with us, son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter, for a few weeks now, and uh, we've done a lot of things. We've had a great time. They're leaving this week, uh, which we're not too happy about, but uh, we've uh, resolved ourselves to it. Uh, but uh, when your kids come to visit, uh, you do things you don't normally do. And one night, we're sitting around watching TV, and Kyle says, hey, I want to watch an NBA game. Well, we don't watch a lot of sports in our home. Uh, Lori loves that part of me. Uh, and I'm not a big sports fan, and really not an NBA fan either. but Kyle wanted to watch one of the playoffs games, and so we did. It was, uh, if you watched them probably know, it was the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics, and the Warriors won the championship. In fact, they've won four out of the last six years. Uh, they're pretty good, but, but the star of the Warriors is a guy named Steph Curry, and uh, he is an incredible guy. Uh, he's a very outspoken Christian as well as an incredible basketball player, and he made this statement. I think he wrote it in an FCA article, actually. <clears throat> he said, I love that basketball gives me the opportunity to do good things for people and to point them towards the man who died for our sins on the cross. I know I have a place in heaven waiting for me because of him, and that's something no earthly peace or prize or trophy could ever top. I just hope by the way I carry myself and by the way I play the game, they can see there's something different about that guy, and they find out what it is, and then they know. You know, I appreciate people like that. <clears throat> that have an incredible platform and use it for the glory of God. Uh, that's just a, a beautiful thing. And he is a bright light for Christ in an arena where there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of professional sports, there's a lot of darkness, but he's a family man, loves the Lord, holds up his faith, and, uh, and that's incredible. But you know, even though you and I will probably never play NBA basketball, some of you young guys might, but most of us won't, and we won't be on a court like that. We're going to be in an arena where we need to shine our light. We're gonna be in a place where how we live our life really does make a difference. And so, in this letter of 1 Corinthians, we've been studying, we've been talking about that, about making decisions, about the impact that we have on other people. And Paul wrote this letter to a church that was in a pagan society, much like we have today. And that's why it makes it so relevant. Several of you have just said, you know, man, this study's been great because we've been talking about things that we normally don't talk about specifically but we've also talked about things that are kind of practical and relevant. And we've been asking questions like this. How does a Christian live and function in a non-Christian world? How do we deal with the temptations and the pressure and also the freedom, the great freedom that we have as believers? And what kind of responsibility do we have to God and to other people, to younger believers, to non-believers, fellow believers that are out there? What, What is our responsibility? And so this letter has been a great study in that. And we're going to continue on today. And we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. (coughs) Paul writes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, if those words sound familiar, you probably think we're going back about three weeks ago We talked about something very similar. And in many ways, we're going to touch on that because these verses were also spoken or written in in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians as well. Very same words. We have a lot of freedom as Christians, but we are warned there in chapter 8, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And we talked a little bit back then about how dangerous it is for us. Sometimes we have all these freedoms we may do some things uh, that are questionable or we may wonder, "What should I do this? Should I not do this? And we, we threw out some questions that we should always ask before we do something that might be questionable. Let me just remind you of those questions. Number one was, is it permissible? Is it permissible? There are some things that are not permissible as Christians. There are some things we just need to rock, cross off our, our, if we're on our bucket list or if they are on our, Uh, We're tempted, we just cross them all. They're not permissible. The Bible is our source of truth and authority. And if God says we're not to do it, then it should be settled. We shouldn't even struggle with it. It should be put to bed and forgotten. Secondly, is it legal? Is it legal? It's a great question to ask. If something is, is illegal, we're not free to do it. If it's against the law, we break the law. That automatically makes it a sin. Thirdly, is it beneficial or constructive? So something might be legal, it might be permitted, but it just, is it a smart thing to do? Is it a wise thing to do? You know, um, we talked about several things last week, questionable things, and so we might put smoking in this category. It's not a sin, uh, it's legal, but does anybody think it's a really good idea to start smoking? Probably not, most people who are smoking are trying to quit. So that, that may be a question that you, you kind of ask, is it beneficial, is it constructive? And the next question, is it loving? Is it loving? How does me exercising my freedom affect other people? And that's where Paul reminds us, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So as a believer, I should remember uh, and consider the best of other people before I think about myself. It's a really basic practical principle. Thirdly, is it evangelistic? Is it evangelistic? How am I representing Jesus whenever I do this? How do people see Jesus? How will they view him? Because I may be the only Jesus that they ever see and know. So how are they gonna see him as a Christian and how a Christian lives through all of this? So those are some great questions that we ought to ask ourselves and kind of keep in the back of our mind. And you know, this is a much bigger deal than we often think about, because how we live and how we act truly does matter. And as representatives of Jesus, I mean, we have an awesome responsibility and a burden in many, many ways. And it's relevant in our day as well as it was back then. In fact, Paul spends about three chapters in the middle of this book dealing with a very specific issue. And I told you three weeks ago that it probably wasn't an issue that you're gonna worry about. And that was eating meat offered to idols. It's like, this was the controversial issue today. And we say, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that or nobody would care, right? But in that day, it was a huge issue. And like a lot of controversial issues, it caused a lot of confusion, a lot of division, and a lot of damage. Now, obviously, you and I probably aren't going to struggle with that question, but the principles that he raises here are timeless, and they are extremely practical because we're going to need to apply them to questionable issues of our day. Every one of us have issues that we struggle with and questions that we have. Should I do this? Should I do that? Is what they're doing wrong? Sometimes it becomes a judgment thing on other people. And so it's important to think about this. And so Paul spends a lot of time. This is the last message. We're going to talk about this specifically, but I want to kind of wrap it up by looking at the rest of chapter 10 here. So let's pick it up. Eat anything sold in the market, meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat it eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm not referring to the other person's con I am referring to the other person's conscience not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness Why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. <clears throat> so again, a real quick look at the context here in the scripture. You know, to always look at the context. If you don't, it doesn't make much sense, does it? If we read this for today, we'd go, that's crazy. But there's a context and there's principles that come out of it. Paul's writing here to a young church comprised of many recent converts to Christianity from pagan idol worship. They had to worship these idols and they worshiped them in different ways. They would worship their idols by offering up animal sacrifices to them. Now, that that sounds weird to us. We don't do that. But in that day, the Jewish people did that. So it was pretty common. It wasn't that unusual thing to do. And they would bring their sacrifices, offer them to God. The pagans copied the practice. And they would also offer these idols or this meat to idols, and the meat would be left over. Instead of wasting that meat, they would take it and sell it in the local markets. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Paul's reminded us, assures us, that the idols and the false gods that they offered this meat to didn't really exist. They were nothing. They really were only in the minds of people. You know that's where we build our our idols, in our minds, what's important, what we want to worship and give ourselves to. So, he said, they don't really exist there. And these believers had met Jesus. (coughs) They'd come out of darkness into light. However, the Christians were kind of split, we don't know what percentage, but they were split about whether they should eat the meat or whether they should avoid the meat, whether whether it was wrong to eat it or was okay to to eat it. And if you remember, if you were here, we talked about Demetrius and Clement, uh, these two imaginary figures, and one thought it was okay and the other didn't, and uh, uh, they kind of both ate and they both sinned by doing that. But but Paul's talked about this, and he says, there are gonna be some people who are gonna think this is wrong, and they're going to be called the weaker brothers, and there are some that are, oh, think it's okay, and they're going to be the stronger brothers, but the stronger brothers should not tempt, confuse, or discourage the weaker brother. And I threw out a principle to you that I think makes sense, and that is that love limits liberty. If you love someone, you're going to be con- conscientious about what impacts them and what discourages them or confuses them or tempts them. So love limits liberty. Previously, in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, two weeks ago, Tony preached on this. I had made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, possible means, I might save some. And he, he did a great job of, of saying that Paul said, I don't care what it takes. I'm gonna win people to Jesus. I'm gonna do anything short of sin, if you remember, it's a great point, uh, to win people to Jesus. I'm gonna pull out the stops anything I can, anything possible to lead people to Jesus Christ. And Paul also reminds them, in fact, Paul said, I wouldn't ask you to do anything I won't do for myself. And at one point, Paul says, I won't even eat any more meat the rest of my life. If it would discourage someone, I would just stop eating meat altogether. And so we kind of get a picture of Paul's heart for people there. Now, salvation is just that big of a deal. It really is. You know, I think oftentimes today how how we minimize the importance of salvation. With people just living their lives and looking for their best life and their happiness, salvation is the only thing that's gonna matter at some point. And since it matters so much, we need to do everything that we can to present Jesus in an attractive way. So from these scriptures that we read here, I wanna find some guiding principles for our practical life, how we live in a world, how we use our freedom, our liberty, but we balance that with a love for God and a love for people. So here's the first principle. Edification is always above gratification. Edification is always above gratification. The Bible tells us to edify or build up the church. We know how to build people up. It's encouraging people, it's guiding them, it's supporting them. Edification is important. Paul says that building up the church and building up other people is more important than gratifying our own desires. The Bible talks a lot about that. When you look at the ministry of the apostles, of Paul, Peter, their life and their ministry was spent edifying, building up the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about the church is like a building, the building of of Christ. And it was founded on Jesus as a cornerstone. It was supported by the apostles and the the prophets as, as lively stones in the foundation. And that each of us are being built into the body of Christ. Every time someone gives their life to Christ, they are built into, they become a part of the body of Christ. And so our job is to build up this building and lift it up to God for his glory. So edification is building people up for the glory of God or building up the corporate church of Jesus for the glory of God. Gratification is doing what I want for myself, what my desires and my taste and my preferences are. Building up the body of Christ is more important than I want for myself personally. And in a world today where people live for themselves, that's a hard thing to grasp. We gotta think about what's important for the body above what's better for ourselves or what's gratifying for ourselves. And when we're about to do what might be a controversial thing, we need to think about the greater impact of the church. You know, this, this uh, played out in my life just, uh, just this week, to be honest with you. <coughs> because um, I think it was Thursday, uh, there was an article came out in the paper about uh, the church packing the meals. Some of you may have seen that. And it ended up on social media as well. So, uh, on one of those little trashy sites in our community. So, I won't, I won't uh, tell you what it is. But anyway, so I'm looking and I'm thinking, this is awesome. You know, we got, you know, so, to the glory of God and uh, uh, the church is doing something, doing something important there. And, uh, and then, like people are prone to do, somebody comes along and they start these derogatory comments. Well, I'm pretty protective of the church. And I would think of all churches, I would hope to be, that kind of ticked me off, you know? And so I'm a member of that. I'm not proud of it, but I'm a member of that group, so I could write. So I thought, you know, I should write back. Uh, But then I thought, no, I shouldn't write back because that wouldn't be a very good idea because because you probably know that when you write back, then everybody else writes back, right? So I thought, you know, what would be better would be that the the editor, the, the poster, whoever posted that, would write it. So uh, so I wrote a long post back to the administrator, who seemed like a wonderful person. I wrote back to them, and I explained some things. Maybe you read uh, that post that was, well, she posted it on the site herself. But before, when I wrote it's not what I actually ended up sending. You ever do that? Like you write it, and this is what really, you really think, and then you write, this is not going to read good. So... Um, <laughs> So I wrote it. I went in the other room and I, you know, I talked, texted it all out. And I came back in and I asked my son, I said, I, I want you to listen to this. And so I'm reading through it and I'm like, ah, that, that sentence doesn't need to be there, does it? He goes, no, it doesn't. And, uh, and I said, well, what about this? No, that doesn't need to be there either. So I had two lines that I took out of it and, uh, and then I sent it in. Well, I didn't know she was going to post it, but she posted it as my direct quote. But you know what? Social media is a place that we can gratify ourselves and not edify the body of Christ. And so over the years, hopefully we've learned that we don't say everything that we think, that sometimes what we say that makes us feel good isn't going to help things at all, all right? So uh, it's kind of interesting how that played out so practically this week. So first of all, <coughs> edification above grat- gratification. Secondly, others above ourselves others above ourselves always. This is a key thought for Paul. In verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Seek the good of others. This is what the basic call of the Christian life, if you think about it. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life. For one's friends. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world to please himself. His life was a life of sacrifice. He came to save lost people. He was a servant. He washed people's feet. He loved and ministered to the lowliest of all sinners and the poorest. He took the lowliest jobs. And we can learn a lot from Jesus about putting other people first, about denying ourselves and sacrificing for others. I think what Paul's saying here is that we need to have an awareness and a sensitivity to the people around us. And whenever we are trying to make a decision about what we should say or do, are we helping them come to know Jesus or grow in their knowledge? Are we putting ourselves first or others first? Thirdly, is liberty above legalism? Liberty above legalism. Legalism is what Jesus struggled with the most with the religious people of his day. If you think about it, they were... They were good people for the most part, but they were so legalistic, it just choked out anything they might bring to the table. Legalism is, is, is what defined the Old Testament law, but Jesus came to set us free from all of that. Aren't you glad that we're not bound by those hundreds and hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, trying to remember what we should do and shouldn't do? We have a lot of freedom, but just use that freedom wisely and don't get wrapped up in our own legalism um, we have a lot of freedom that we need to manage, but legalism in our life or what we force on others can suck, always suck us back in. Paul's saying to them, he's already said about this meat, hey guys, it's just meat. There's no evil influence attached to the meat. Even if you were offered, it was offered to an idol, it's not gonna hurt you, it's not gonna corrupt you. Don't get hung up on that. You know, in that day, like today, uh, kind of interesting things don't change much, but meat's expensive, Right? and it was expensive then as well. And if they had a big sacrifice day in the pagan worship temples, it probably showed up in the meat market that evening. And people probably recognized that we're gonna get a bargain because they offered a lot of of meat today. And since they had no refrigeration, it, it would go cheap. It had to go that day, right? So Paul says, don't worry about that. Watch that you don't get hung up in legalism. But there are a couple of areas that he says are important here to understand in this whole picture and trying to figure this out. So he gives us two case studies. The first one is about the meat market. In verse 25 and 26, he says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it. So he says, if you go into the meat market and you see stuff, it's available, uh, it's good. You know, if you're shopping, you find a cut of meat that you want, don't ask any questions about it. Basically he's saying, don't ask where it came from. You know, you know uh, we raise uh, meat animals, and uh, my wife struggles with that, really struggled at first. She's getting better about it. Um, but she's like, we don't name anything we're going to eat. We don't, that's one thing we have. And she doesn't want to be involved in the process. We do a lot of our own processing. She doesn't want to be involved in the process. She doesn't want to know the history of it, you know. She just wants to see the cut. Of meat there. Maybe you're kind of like that as well. And that's what Paul says. If you don't know the history of the meat, you can't have a conscience issue of it. So if it's there and it looks good and it's a bargain, buy it. Don't ask. Don't get involved in that. You can't have a conscience issue with it. There's nothing wrong with the meat itself. But here's the but that comes up. If the meat vendor volunteers where it came from, here's where the issue gets tough. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. If the other guy goes, "Hey, it's a great cut. I don't know if you know it or not, but this was just offered a couple hours ago in the temple of Aphrodite, he's the sex goddess. This is a great deal. You should buy this." If you're at that point and you know that kind of history, Paul says no, because now you know and they know. And they know, you know, right? And that's when it becomes an issue because now you're starting to participate in this whole ordeal. And that's when you say, sorry, it looks delicious. Sorry, I'm not gonna eat that. And here's why. And it gives you a great witnessing opportunity. You're able to explain why there's nothing wrong with the meat, but my faith doesn't allow me to do that. And that's important sometimes that we don't just legalistically say things, but we actually explain to people why we don't do something. And that makes it important, and it makes it a whole lot more beneficial for them. <clears throat> Here's a second case study, eating in an unbeliever's house. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal, and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So I, if I go to your home, and you're going gonna, you're gonna to serve me a steak, I don't need to ask you where that steak came from. I don't need to know the history of the steak, you know. Hospitality is important for believers. Don't hesitate, Paul says. Go to somebody's house even if they don't believe and don't question about their food. Eat it. Enjoy it. Don't be rude because you want to be a good guest. You know, a few years ago, I went to uh, Bulgaria with Robert Brock. And I don't think Robert's in this service, is he? I don't think he is. But Robert is, is a very interesting character. I love him to death. Uh, but when we went to Bulgaria, and he lives like he he is a native there. He knows everything and everybody there. But uh, so we went to a lot of people's homes. He lived there for some time. We went to people's homes, and every home we went into, they were so hospitable. And uh, the custom there is when you go into their home, they offer you two things always. Sometimes chocolates, which is pretty cool. But they always give you two other things. One of them is a bread made out of sheep milk. I don't know if you ever drank sheep milk, probably not, but it has a kind of particular taste. A lot of milk, sheep milk and cheese was a big part of it. Same bread everywhere. Very, very common. The other thing that they give you is a alcoholic drink called rakia, rakia. Now, rakia is made out back behind the house in a shed in a barrel with pears and peaches and anything else they can throw in and who knows what else is in that barrel, (coughs) but they distill it, and then they bring it in, and when you go to every home, you're going to get bread and this rakea, this drink. So, um, it, would be, it would be wrong and rude to refuse. I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do that, but I didn't want to be rude to those people either. So, Robert and I hatched a plan, and uh, first of all, let me say that Robert has a lot more tolerance to alcohol than, than I do. <laughs> <coughs> I'm pretty sure about that, but here was the plan. And I'm not sure it's super alcoholic. I don't know how strong it is. Um, so here's the plan. So we go in and we sit down, and uh, so they would give us both a drink. And so I would take my drink, I'd take a sip, and then I would set mine over by his. And then he would take my drink and he would take a big drink of it. And then I would take his and I would take a sip. So we traded back and forth, me taking sips, him taking drinks, and, um, and it worked out really well. We didn't worry about germs. Uh, we just figured that rakia was strong enough to kill anything more than likely there. We respected our host and I didn't even get a buzz. Is that, is that how you say you don't get a buzz? I think it's right. Anyway, <coughs> so Paul says, be a respectful guest. Don't be asking about where this cow came from or anything like that. Just be respectful and, uh, and respect their hospitality. Again, don't ask your host, but there he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So again, this is the weaker brother issue who came up. Maybe the host volunteered the information. Hey, I don't know if you know it or not, got a great deal on these steaks. They were offered to a sex goddess earlier today. You know, maybe they volunteered that. And another Christian is there with you. Maybe they're doing it to get your reaction, to see what you're going to do. Sometimes non-believers will do that, right? What do you think about this? Kind of throw it out to see what your reaction will be. (coughs) But now you know. Now you have the information. Again, Paul says, and you're going to offend somebody. You're either going to offend your host or you're going to offend your brother in Christ. It's an awkward moment. But Paul says it's more important To maintain unity with your brother than it is to offend the person. And unfortunately, that's going to happen. Again, it's a good witnessing opportunity. It's a good chance to say, man, I I wish you hadn't told me that, first of all. But now that I know, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Eat everything else. Drink the rakia and eat the bread, you know, but, uh, but don't eat the steak there. So here's Paul's final word on that. Paul says, "For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved." See, living living out our faith and freedom is a difficult balance. And being around believers and non-believers and younger believers, it's it's a difficult thing. Paul stresses liberty over legalism and says, mature Christians should respect weaker, but weak conscience believers should also grow up and embrace their freedom in a healthy way and not judge everyone based on their own conscience and upon their own rules. Do your best not to cause anyone to stumble and do not seek your own way first. I think that's really practical information when it comes to thinking, should I do this? Can I do this? Should I do this? Where should I do this? Maybe the the audience or the people around you is what makes the difference. Here's the last overriding principle. (coughs) Number four, God's glory above everything. God's glory above everything. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God is a God of glory. He deserves all of our glory, all of our respect, all of our honor and worship. You and I were created for the express purpose of glorifying God. That is the purpose he has given to every person who is born. And everything in our life is an opportunity to glorify God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If we can glorify God in something as mundane as eating and drinking then we can glorify God in everything that we do. We glorify God by lifting him up, by honoring him, by making the invisible God visible, by living out our faith in front of people, by being people of integrity. And we can do that in every area, in every minute of our lives, including our work, and even our secular work. John Stott wrote, good work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both. In the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. That's what good work is. Whether it's with your mind or your hands, if you're fulfilled, if you're fulfilled, if people are benefited and God gets the glory, then that is good work. And that's work to the glory of God. It's not so much what we do, it's how we do it. Our work should bring blessings to us and more importantly, bring honor and glory to God. And the way that we glorify God the most is when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and through him, we find a relationship with our God. And I'll tell you, this is how those of us who are serious about our faith, why we're so concerned about what God says about how we live our lives. You know, I know that there are a lot of people in our world today, and we're living in a time where most people would say they're believers of God, and most people that we come in contact with are gonna say they believe in Jesus and, and they don't really know even what they're saying, but, but they don't disbelieve, maybe in some cases. But this is why when we're really serious about our faith, we do certain things. It's why we study the Bible. It's why the Bible is important to us. It's why we hold it up as ultimate truth. It's why we come together and worship. We make a commitment to be with God's people because it's that important. It's why we serve, it's why we give, it's why we love, it's why we do everything to the glory of God. Because we want to honor him and make God real, and make God understood and visible to people. And it's why we care about the impact of our actions on the lives of other people. And in fact, Paul wraps this up with a great challenge. I've thought a lot about this, because I don't know if I would feel comfortable saying this or not, but here's what Paul says follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I mean, what a statement to make. When you think about it, are you bold enough to say, watch me because I'm going to be living like Jesus. Follow my example. Most of us would not be courageous or confident enough to say that, but we should be able to, knowing that we're not perfect, but we're hopefully growing more and more perfect every day. Jesus always glorified his Father in heaven. And he would say that, look at me, because when you see me, you see the Father. And that's what we should be able to say ourselves. There was never a moment in Jesus' life when he didn't glorify God. But God's, (laughs) our Lord's, every word and action and thought was totally devoted to the glory of God. And that should be our goal today. And I just feel like these kind of principles, studying scripture like this is a great way for us to grow in our faith and learn the practical decisions the balance of freedom and faith and, and, and obedience to God. You know, I'm sorry my voice has been so difficult this morning, but I, I pray that the message has come out above everything else. And I pray that you're growing and that God's doing something really important, significant in your life. And I want to encourage you in that. I want to live my life. I would love to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm not there yet, uh, but all of us hopefully are pressing toward that moment. We're gonna offer time of response. I'm gonna be up here, if you're at a place where you wanna make a decision for Jesus or you wanna pray, you want someone to pray with you or just spend some time praying with the Lord, uh, we ask you to come up and just spend this time with us now. Let's pray together. <coughs> <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the word that, that comes out loud and clear in spite of um, sometime our inability to communicate it well. I pray your word has spoken to our lives and that, God, we've uh, grown and taken steps in our spiritual walk today. Father, I pray that you would draw us to you. Lord, I ask that there are those here who are struggling, who are in need of prayer, or just want to praise you for what you're doing in their lives. That, God, they feel free to step forward, to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.